It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon and welcome to the Talent Talk Radio Show and thank you for joining me here. It's Tuesday, we're live and... Uh, Quite uncommonly, I'm actually live in the studio, uh, even though my guests are calling in today. And uh, glad to be here. So, you know, uh, if this is the first time you happen to be tuning into the show or don't know much about it, kind of give you a little rundown on how it works. Um, This really kind of came out of my desire to to pick people's brains, to learn more from those that uh, are doing great things with talent, that are really smart and, and uh, important people in the world, and uh, also, you know, people that are dealing with their talent, that they're doing unique things themselves, and really understanding what's on their mind and what we can learn from them. And so this show hopefully gives us that opportunity to pick their brains and understand more. In fact, we've had so many awesome stories and so many great things have come out of these conversations that I was fortunate enough to put them into a book called The Power of Company Culture. Hit the bestseller list this year. I'd love to have you check it out. Find it on Amazon or koganpage.com. And there's just so many great stories from our guests over the last five years. Uh, I'd love to have you take a look at that. So Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, um, as I already mentioned, but can be accessed through our podcast on iTunes. You can also listen to it on iHeartRadio. Find it wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, really uh, have a great network of people uh, around the world that are tuning in, downloading episodes, 10,000 of you a day, which is millions and millions and millions of of listens. And uh, I just can't tell you much. We appreciate our network and everyone sharing and talking about it and listening and learning. It's why we do it and uh, why I show up every every Tuesday to talk about talent. So uh, if you have a question, we love to keep our conversations going. If you're listening live, you can send a live tweet. If it's after the fact, that's cool. You can still tweet questions and comments and anything else. Um, you know, if you follow at people G2, you can find there the live t- uh, tweeting that we do during the show, and you can find all the handles of the guests if they have a, a, a Twitter profile and be able to interact with them there. Often they give us their, their handles as well, but um, we'd love to have your questions and comments, and we'll keep uh, we'll answer and reply there as well. Just try to use that hashtag. It's the pound sign for you old folks. The hashtag and then talent talk, all one word, and uh, that way we can find any of your comments or questions and Uh, My producer, Mike, will feed me any questions if you send them in live. So anyways, um, let's go ahead and talk about our guests. I'm really happy to have uh, two great guests today, as our typical format uh, holds. Uh, My first guest will be Ben Monez, the CEO and founder of, uh, I think it's FEMA. Might be FAMA, FEMA, FAMA. We'll find out in a moment. And then uh, Gerardo Martinez, the CEO of Triple Direct Leadership. But as I said, let's go ahead and bring in my first guest. Ben, welcome to the show. 
Thank you, Chris. Appreciate you having me on the show today. Uh, absolutely. And, of course, you can tell me how to properly say your company name, but maybe give us a little, you know, what's best for us to know about you? What should we know for the point of this conversation today? What the heck does your company do, and how do you say its name? Go for it. Absolutely. Well, yeah, thanks again for having us on, Chris, and uh, we really appreciate not only coming on Town Talk Radio, but all the work you're doing over at People G2. So, uh, yeah, my name is Ben Monas. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a software company called Fama. So you, you got, it, got it the second time there, Chris. And what we do is we are a B2B software company. That means that we help large enterprises identify the sort of risk across the employee life cycle that's typically a challenge to uncover, but has an impact not only on workplace uh, sort of values, culture, uh, and shareholder value, but also, you know, the sorts of things like workplace violence, abusive behavior, sexual harassment. Uh, we do all of that by analyzing publicly available online information and internal HR data to help uh, large employers gain insight into some of these important issues in the workplace that are otherwise very difficult uh, and challenging to uncover. So, I mean, what's the goal? Is it to mitigate risk? Is it to create, you know, more productive and sort of better workplaces by, you know, uncovering the, you know, maybe those potential negative issues before they come big? You know, what, 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 what's really sort of the, the driving force here for you guys? Yeah, so the driving factor and, and sort of force behind our company is that really one of risk management is this question of, you know, there are certain types of risk that affect not only culture, to your point, and the effective day-to-day of of people contributing on a day-to-day basis, being happy, feeling that works a safe and welcoming place to be, but also protecting their brand Uh, from a really, you know, shareholder value standpoint. We see time and again instances of, you know, not only the Me Too movement, but racist, sexist culture inside of large corporations and consumers effectively making those companies pay uh, with their pocketbooks, uh, uh, really looking at the information they learn about a company, about their culture as determined of, hey, do I want to do business with these companies? So what we do is we help identify and ensure that uh, every employer can uh, have not only their new hires, but existing employees reflect um, and extend their mission and values as an organization. So uh, you probably get this question a lot, that how does privacy play in all of this? I mean, it's data that's out there. You have an, an employment employee relationship, for, I guess, for some of this. It may mm-hmm. be some vendor or other types of scenarios, but you have FCRAs and all these other things. So you know, maybe you could talk to you, how does privacy kind of play into this role, into what you're doing, and how, how you guys sort of mitigate that, that risk? Yeah, sure. Privacy has, has been a central theme, as, of course, any time a, to your point, FCRA uh, a third party is compiling publicly available data and not only has to require kind of the role of consent, but also uh, being very clear about what analysis is happening, why it's happening, et cetera. So uh, what we do from our standpoint, we're only looking at publicly available information as a first step, but the second piece of that is every time a FAMA uh, report is initiated or a search is run, there is informed consent, you know, just like the FCRA uh, with the ability to send a pre-adverse adverse notification letter where the candidate or the existing employee has a chance to contest the results that come back. So all of this is, is done very much out in the open. There's no surreptitious method or any subterfuge that's occurring on behalf of employers. And this is also something that you know, over the past decade or so, you know, specifically over the past three years, we saw uh, the career builder uh, social media survey that comes out every year, which is a great resource. Highly recommend to, you know, not only uh, the listeners on the show, but anybody who's really interested in talent talent management. 2015, about 44% of companies were looking at social media news or websites to try and inform their decision they were making on a job candidate. 2016, that number jumped to 60%. 
And in 2017, that number jumped up to 70%. So this is something that is happening. And our hope is that in every instance, certainly anybody who's using our technology, but uh, that there is that approach to saying, hey, look, we're doing this search. Here's why we're doing it. We're looking at core job-related issues like harassment, abusive behavior, uh, violence in the workplace, et cetera, hopeful that the candidate or employee would want to work at a company where uh, those sorts of issues are front and center. Yeah, and so I'm sort of imagining that, you know, part of the softer part of what you're doing uh, outside of the risk component is really making sure you have the right people there, that companies' cultures and uh, the engagement factor can be the best it can be by having the right people there in the room together. And I imagine it's a little bit different from company to company, but I guess to kind of maybe put the mirror in front of yourself there, what are you guys doing at your company at Palma to really, you know, develop that culture? What are some of the things we might think about learning from what you guys are doing? Yeah, sure. I think, you know, for for our organization, I think that the the power really just taking a step back of, you know, the amount of technology that's out there today, what we were able to access not only as a team of technologists, entrepreneurs, and like-minded folks who focus on workplace culture is that you can really define today what you want your organization to look like. You can set cultural values, key tenets, things that you hold dear. You know, you hear a lot of companies talking about what it means to be an employee at that business. At Bama, you know, we keep our mission very central to what we do at the company of sort of identifying not only protected classes and, and helping those disadvantaged classes Um, and really looking out for those folks, putting those folks as a priority. But two, you know, making this idea and this concept of, you know, we are out here to remove sexual harassment, workplace violence, abusive behavior from the corporate workplace. And so at our company, for example, we have a policy around sexual harassment that extends well beyond the law. We have not only equal opportunity, but we want to give everyone in our company a voice in major and minor issues that pop up, everything from, you know, a software uh, question about how to develop and launch a new feature or the right sales process, how we want to launch, you know, a, a new outbound sales strategy, for example, trying to empower everyone inside of the organization and ensure that, you know, they understand that their voice is heard and uh, going to have an impact in the day-to-day operation here. But I would say the biggest thing that we do is, is really making the mission a, a central theme of the day-to-day here. You know, I, I, I do believe, you know, that it's not just the product team that is guiding product decisions here. I believe that our engineering team on a day-by-day basis, even if they're putting, you know, like a bug fix in place, for example, or a sales team member, for example, who might be calling on a customer for the first time, that if they have a fundamental understanding of why we're doing what we're doing, the importance of identifying and remediating these issues inside of the workplace, that the efforts that we expend on a day-to-day basis will guide towards building out that brand promise and ensuring that, you know, not only are we pushing out and developing a solution that fits the broader market, but that we're, you know, for lack of a better word, eating our own dog food um, on a day-to-day basis. So um, it's, you know, making the mission a kind of central theme of what we do, enabling that voice for each team member inside of the organization. And yeah, providing folks with the opportunity to to really be themselves here um, and to be free from things like harassment and abusive behavior, which unfortunately plague the workplace. And it's one of those things we have a very strong point of view on. So, you know, you kind of have mentioned uh, harassment and sexual harassment a few times, and certainly the the rise and in, in, in recent uh, wave of the Me Too movement has really acted as a type of spark or revolution um, and is really starting to find its way into the the world of HR and culture and everything else that's happening, and even if it's not directly uh, inappropriate conduct, certainly the conversation itself has moved into the workplace and it's become you know something that 
may not be as easy to do, but certainly has, has become a, a part of a, a everyday thing for a lot of companies. Have you felt a change in how companies are responding to that message or responding to, to how they want things monitored or looked at? Or, you know, has it sort of impacted what you guys are doing or has it just made it easier to sell your product? Yeah, I, I think without a doubt. I mean, the, it, it's no secret that, and, you know, we're very happy to see just how far the Me Too movement has come, the Time's Up movement, for example, and how this has not only found its way into the, the general populace, but really the specific kind of corporate ecosystem. These were things that, you know, were one of the main drivers for us starting this business. We believe these issues inside of the workplace that there truly is no place for them. And I think the interesting thing about the Me Too movement is that when it comes to, you talk about selling our products, when it comes to, you know, a large business uh, deciding to engage and, and purchase a FAMA subscription, uh, as many companies now have, you know, it wasn't just because it's the right thing to do. You know, we started the company in early 2015, and we were really guiding around this topic and this concept of saying, okay, well, we want to see a different world in the corporate ecosystem. We want to try and impose our point of view of how we think about these sorts of issues and really the, the uh, requirement to remove some of these issues from the workplace just because that's the way that we saw the world. And, you know, that was what me and my co-founder, what we agreed was something that we really wanted to try and work on and address and the day-to-day and, you know, the hours we spent huddled over our laptops and coffee shops, small offices, garages, and then a large office, you know, as, as we've gotten to where we are today. But it really wasn't until, I think, the Me Too movement that we started to see a significant response from corporate America. I think we saw, especially, you know, since, you know, the Harvey Weinstein, we're here in Los Angeles, the Harvey Weinstein scandal that broke, you know, we started to see reputational termination clauses built into B2B agreements. We started to see companies deciding not to do business with other companies based on that reputational harm, that reputational damage. Uh, Aon comes out with a great uh, risk management survey every year, and I believe it was the second year in a row, maybe third year, I believe it was second year in a row, that brand risk was the number one risk that was top of mind for executives, you know, surveyed in the Aon uh, Global Risk Management Survey that year. So I think the the flip, or, or the switch really, that was flipped after the Me Too movement has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, shareholder value of consumers kind of banding together of consumers, you know, it's no secret the consumer activism we see more and more in not only the United States but across the world where consumers have more information available to them. They have the ability to band together. They have the power, effectively, the power balance has shifted where now consumers can essentially dictate to a large business, here's how we want to buy. Here are the types of companies with the parity we have with certain consumer products that we can choose from, uh, we want to buy on the basis of the moral and cultural values of the companies that we, you know, have up on the roster in front of us on the board. And I think, you know, our, our hypothesis is that, you know, shareholder values suddenly began to be effective where CEOs were like, wait, this is an issue that's now going to affect my take home. This was a shareholder value issue. If I'm a CEO of a big publicly traded company and, I have a lot of my compensation tied up in equity, then, you know, my take-home is going to be directly dependent upon the culture inside of my business. So I think the unfortunate thing about this is that while we were in the beginning, well, fortunately, depending upon how you look at it, but uh, in the beginning, it was really just, hey, here's the right thing to do and here's why. But now we're starting to see companies respond to these sorts of issues because it's actually having an impact on the bottom line and shareholder value more specifically. So I think that was the real shift that the Me Too movement drove, and it certainly I think, brought this issue to the board level. 
to the executive level as opposed to, hey, you know, this is just something that we should focus on because it's the right thing to do. Now it's something that, you know, companies are responding to because it has a potential to cost them money. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I'm wondering if as people look at your service and if they uh, are thinking about what they might be able to do or not do, do they, do they typically have, you know, misconceptions about it? I mean, what are some of the things that you typically have to kind of educate, I guess, your uh, potential clients or clients on, on on what they can or can't do? Or might, maybe they walk in thinking, I, I know one of the things in my business is people think that there's some, you know, n- national database I can just type in a social security number and magically get all this information on people. And that, that's just not how it works. Uh, do, do people typically walk into misconception for what you guys are able to deliver them? Yeah, I think the, uh, there's a, a unique sort of response um, anytime you think about digital identity and the publicly available sphere where there's this initial feeling of someone saying, oh, well, I don't know what I said at a certain time or what I did. And the common response we get, Chris, is typically something the effect of, oh, you're going to ding me for all those, you know, photos of me with red solo cups and drinking beers when I was in college <laughs> or the employer, you know, is going to uh, uh, be upset at me and not hire me because I use profanity on, you know, my social media account or something like that. So that's typically, I'd say, the biggest, you know, misconception or question that we get coming into these sorts of, you know, client engagements in the very beginning. But, you know, ultimately, just like with the background check, you're only looking at job-specific information. You would never run a MVR, for example, uh, on somebody who is not in a driving position, right? Or because, you know, if you're at a desk all day and you take the subway to work, the impact of an MVR on your candidacy for employment really plays no role. The same rules apply with looking at news, web, social media information. We're really only going to look, and I say we, we mean employers, employers are really only going to look at what is job relevant and what is job specific. So when, when you know, uh, particular candidates or employees or people are like, hey, look, what about the alcohol on you know, my social media, well, by and large, alcohol really doesn't play a role. You know, it's something that people do after work. It's something that, you know, everyone, I'm sure, has has had some photo of them with a solo cup or with a beer in their hand if they, you know, do happen to drink. So uh, it's one of those things that's relatively commonplace. But really, you know, what, what most employers are looking for, issues like harassment, abusive behavior, bigotry. So, you know, the interesting challenge is that given that it's all consent-driven, most people you know, who might have a racist point of view or say something that is abusive, they don't think that they're actually racist. It's just the way that they, you know, see the world and, and the point of view that they hold. So it isn't necessarily that, you know, we're, uh, employers are looking at uh, alcohol and profanity. It's, it's more the issues like uh, bigotry, abusive behavior, violence, sexual harassment, et cetera. That's really what employers are looking for. And it always takes a second, I think, for um, uh, people to kind of come to that realization when they engage with us. Right. Absolutely. Well, um, one of the things that we love to uh, ask our, our guests, and hopefully you have some, some fun answers for us, is, um, you know, is there an app or a gadget or something that you've added to your life this year that maybe we might uh, take a look at? Um, yeah, you know, for, for me, this is probably kind of a, a lame answer, but I was one of those, like, old iPhone holdouts for a long time, uh, and I actually just upgraded to the new iPhone, and uh, I'm an AirPods user as well, and I have these things in, like, all of the time. So a shameless plug for a product that I'm sure most listeners already have, but the new iPhone for me is one that uh, uh, has been my main kind of thing that I'm blown away with on a day-by-day basis. I'm a a big Siri user, too, so I know that's uh, probably not the most unique thing you've heard on the podcast, Chris, but it is my uh, uh, unique kind of gadget I've been fanatical about lately. 
I, I recently got my upgrade as well, and I've been really happy the battery is actually lasting. So right. That's right. been the, 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 the biggest, which is sort of ridiculous, right? Like that that's the thing uh, that they haven't figured out. So, you know, takes the most that's amazing right. pictures, does all these amazing things, but like, you know, for 10 minutes and then my, my last one, my ex would just die. So I get it. Um, <laughs> well, what about books? So uh, we love to find new and interesting books. Is there one that you're reading right now or that uh, maybe recently you've read that you might uh, suggest we take a look at? Yeah, sure. So I'm a voracious reader. I mean, both uh, fiction, nonfiction. I always try and keep kind of two books uh, going tangentially at the same time. One, a nonfiction or fictional book, one that's work-related, non-work-related. Those are the two kind of strata that I typically like to pursue. So one, from a work-related book, given that we're an AI company, um, this book called AI Superpowers by Kai-Fu Lee, who was a, a former head of Google China, talks a lot about the role that AI is playing in uh, China's digital rise and the ecosystem over there and the sort of contrast to Silicon Valley that we see with Chinese startups. So a uh, very interesting book, uh, highly recommend to all your listeners who are curious about the future of AI and not only uh, the American role that we will play and the growth of artificial intelligence, but just how different the Chinese approach is and, and just how far ahead they're going to be uh, of the United States, in my opinion, in the next couple of years. So very interesting read there, AI Superpowers. The other book, I'm a big Eric Larson fan. Um, he's a, a, a nonfiction writer. His most famous book, Devil in the White City, um, that's one I'm reading right now. But he basically takes concepts. Everything he writes is completely nonfiction. Uh, Sinking of the Lusitania, In the Garden of the Beast, Thunderstruck. Thunderstruck's about the Marconi Wireless and the serial killer. Really interesting story there, kind of an entrepreneurial bent of this guy. Uh, Marconi, who invented the first wireless transmitter after the telegraph. Uh, very interesting stuff. But yeah, I'm reading uh, Devil in the White City right now as well. And uh, I find you can learn a lot by reading exact accounts of what happened in the past and, you know, learning both the confirmation and counterpoint to how you're kind of thinking about your day to day. So those are the two books uh, I would recommend. Well, you really mentioned great stuff, and it's just uh, coincidental that I happen to be reading AI Superpowers right now, and oh, really uh, yeah. agree with you there. It's a great book and uh, a little scary um, and a little, a little uh, uh, eye-opening, and uh, kind of makes you want to live in China if, you know, it didn't have the whole language barrier. It just sounds like things are happening at such a really fast rate, so it's just fascinating time, so... Um, and I would say in my book club that the kinds of books you mentioned with the sort of real accounts and understanding that kind of history through the sort of a storytelling kind of way seems to be ones that are really popular. So those sound like two great books. Uh, certainly I can vouch for the first one for sure uh, are great ones to check out. Uh, you know, you mentioned a lot of cool things here today. If someone was only half paying attention and they only remembered one thing that you said, what's that one thing you hope that they might remember as they maybe repeat uh, them listening to this podcast to somebody else? Yeah, I would say the one thing I would have you remember is that there are ways to identify the sorts of issues that many of us think are just normal and commonplace in business. Things like sexual harassment, workplace violence, abusive behavior, those are things that we don't have to tolerate anymore as corporate citizens. And that would be the one thing I would say if the technology exists to identify these sorts of issues and the data can back that up. Uh, and I'd encourage anyone who thinks, hey, look, this is just the way that things are uh, to question that. Uh, point of view to question that hypothesis and say, hey, yes, there's technology out there that can help me solve that problem. So that would be, uh, Chris, my main takeaway for today. How can people get a hold of you, learn more about your company? What's the best way for them to reach out? Uh, best way is to head to our website, 
fama.io. That's F-A-M-A dot I-O. And fill out the contact form, and we or I will get back to you very shortly. Ben, thanks so much for being a great guest here and giving us all this insight uh, into everything you guys are doing. Really appreciate it and all the book uh, suggestions. Hopefully we have you come back at some point and give us an update on what you're doing. All right, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks to you and the team uh, for having me on. Uh, absolutely. I'm going to take a quick commercial break, and then I'll bring back my second guest, uh, Gerardo Martinez. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months, and the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. If you missed my first guest, uh, Ben Moniz, uh, you can listen to his interview as well as other past interviews on iTunes and iHeartRadio. You can even go to TalentTalkRadio.com. Find us wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, don't forget, we love to keep the conversation going. So find us on Twitter, at PeopleG2. Send us a comment, a question, whatever it may be, and use that hashtag, Talent Talk, all one word. We'd love to keep that conversation going. I think we also post stuff on LinkedIn and Facebook. If you find us there, that's easy. We can keep the conversation going there as well. All right, uh, we're going to bring in uh, Gerardo uh, Martinez. He's the CEO of Triple Deck Leadership. Uh, Gerardo, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So why don't you tell a little bit about yourself, what's important for us to know for our conversation today, and of course, what are you guys doing over there at uh, Triple Direct Leadership? Yeah, so my name is Gerardo Martinez. Um, I am a Naval Academy grad, former Marine Corps officer, and now I run Triple Direct Leadership. And what we do is we provide high-end leadership development experiences utilizing the outdoors. So... What that means is there's a lot of leadership development out in the world right now. A lot of it has to do with bringing in your team to a conference room or doing coaching. We do all of that utilizing the outdoors. So whether that's going on a hike or rock climbing or whatever, it all is outside and provides an actual experience. So maybe you can explain to me, you you mentioned the Navy and the Marines in one sentence, so maybe we should start there. (laughs) And I want to hear that story. Okay, yeah. So I uh, I went to the Naval Academy out of Annapolis, Maryland. Um, and while you're there, you're just considered part of the Navy. And from there, you you can either go Marine Corps or Navy officer. And I just I was selected to go Marine Corps officer. Got it. Got it. Okay. So I know because most people I know they go into the Navy. They sort of just stay with the Navy. So um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good. So you know, as a veteran, you've obviously bring uh, with you a lot of your own leadership lessons and things that uh, you picked up in uh, during your time in the Navy and with the Marines. Um, when you think back to 
to that time, what that time meant in your development as a leader and, and you know, possibly as an entrepreneur today. Maybe what are some of those core leadership values or things that you use and utilize every day uh, in your own life and also teach to others? Yeah, so in the military, you're kind of like thrusted into leadership, especially as like a junior officer. And something I, you know, really took away from a lot of mentors that I've gained throughout the years is my ability to become self-aware with my decision-making and kind of the impact not only to my subordinates, but also to the mission and my, like, superior officers. Um, That's kind of been, like, the hallmark of my entire military career is that it gave me a lot of self-awareness and decision-making. Yeah, and I wonder if, and we've asked this question a couple times to different uh, people who have a really strong uh, military background and it's part of their leadership, you know, when you're, when you're in the military, there's this really strong sense of purpose. Um, you know, people know why they're there. and They know why um, they're doing what they're doing. They may not necessarily be happy about it, but I mean, I think it's very clear, you know, why why you've signed up and what you're doing and, and protecting our country or whatever the, you know, there's a couple, a couple of those things in, in line. But that seems to be very different, right, when you go into the public sector. And, and, and why am I working in this company? What's this company's purpose? So do you find that that's a big disconnect or is that, or, or, or are you finding that, that people have that uh, similar alignment with purpose? Uh, yeah, so and from what I've seen, a lot of the high-performing and highly flexible companies, they, are, they really put their purpose into their strategic plan. So they, they write a mission, they write values, and they actually kind of embody that in the way they're going forward in the future, especially with who they hire. So high-performing companies hire the people that align with the purpose, and those who struggle, they either uh, we either help them out in finding a purpose, in designing a mission, or we try to help them have people design it for them. So I, I see like a big disconnect between those who lead with purpose in, as far as their culture goes uh, and those who aren't. So Right, right. Well, what was it that led you in this direction of working uh, to really better, you know, people's understanding of leadership? Uh, yeah, so I've kind of been doing leadership development my whole life, mainly as a student. Uh, throughout the Naval Academy, there's a whole curriculum of leadership development. And then throughout the Marine Corps, obviously, you grow through experience. And then as soon as I got out in the commercial world, I kind of started developing my subordinates either through my I was employed through a construction contractor before, and now through Triple Direct. I really, really have this like sense of purpose in developing people. It really brings me a lot of joy. So that I started learning a lot more into the leadership development realm, and that's kind of where I started getting pushed along, like purpose-wise. And then I also am huge in the outdoors. So right when I when I started rock climbing and everything, I, I figured out. I can tie these emotional experiences outside with development experiences in the professional realm. Right, right. Well, I know you also do uh, some other work um, outside of what your your core job is with a group called Rescue, uh, which uh, I guess has a focus on addressing housing and mental health and overall well-being for veterans. Can you talk more about that work and, and what the organization is really focused on? Yeah, so Rescue is pretty much a ground-up uh, nonprofit that just started within the last few months, actually the last year. And my role right now is I, I kind of serve as 
I, my background is in construction, so we kind of help out with a little bit of the construction work that they're doing. But I, I'm, I just sit on the National Board of Advisors, and I vote on most of the leadership and strategic decisions. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to really address the homeless veteran population and the ability for veterans to gain housing. This, this kind of stemmed out through like the whole VA crisis that was going on, but uh, they're, they're ground up. They just started, and right now they're like ramping up the website and starting to get funding so that they can start going with the strategic plan of purchasing housing, funding, funding veterans to go into it, and training them to be functional members of society again. Well, that's great. Uh, a lot of great organizations out there kind of helping our, our vets and uh, you know, that transition can be hard often for for people to go uh, from one from one style to the next, and um, uh, from one sort of I guess a- ecosystem right into sort of a a giant uh, unstructured uh, chaos, which is the private sector. So yeah, honestly, um, the the hardest part for me was the language. <laughs> getting uh, getting used to speaking like a normal person again was. Ah, <laughs> so uh, not, not referring to everyone as sir or ma'am or, uh, I mean, maybe talk about that more. I mean, what else was sort of a part of, of that change? Just, you know, not swearing as much and, uh, <laughs> you know, and in, in the commercial sector, it's like you sometimes have to be indirect in order to be like more conscious and, you know, the stress level in the military is very high. So things are working really quickly and in the private sector is not like that so you know getting out of that stress element and speaking like not stressful that is another thing that i had to learn so yeah yeah it's funny i never had the problem with cursing from a leadership standpoint but um i guess as long as there aren't children or or nuns walking by me but uh (laughs) (laughs) maybe you you know aside from the language uh sort of adjustment and uh what were some of the other more difficult aspects of transferring into that, you know, becoming an entrepreneur, uh, particularly an area where, you know, there was going to be so many other people that provide, you know, leadership training and things like that? I mean, what were what are some of the things that you had to really focus on to, to be better at? Uh, yeah, so I when I was working in the construction company, I was actually assigned a personal coach, and... Uh, she helped me out, but more so, I really liked the content that she was providing me, and I really love like kind of pushing in a direction while also backing it up with you know actual research and content. And I really wanted to tie that into the outdoor world because I was gaining a lot of traction in my recreational area of life and doing big things, rock climbing and stuff like that. And I really I tied a lot of emotional learning to that. And I, I knew I could take that and tie it to the content that my coach was providing me and design experiences that could reach more people. So within the construction industry in particular is where I kind of saw the biggest fit. But it, it, it can apply anywhere. So the, these guys are working outside with their hands all day. And you want to talk to them about emotional intelligence by taking them into a conference room, right? Uh, which they'll be engaged, but as soon as they leave the doors, did it really have an effect? Probably not, because these guys, they tie their emotional learning to being in an experience. So I decided to take, you know, different aspects of my life, the military, the rock climbing, and the coaching I was receiving and design this company called Triple Direct Leadership. 
So speaking of your company, what what are some of the, you know, the best resources or things that you guys offer, and and how can, how are you seeing these these types of things really impact organizations in a positive and, and you know direct way? Yeah. So all of our experiences are custom designed, and the, our the way we're set up is we provide content to our leadership guides, which are PhDs or a former colonel, you know, very high level, highly educated in the leadership realm. We design custom experiences to meet what your bottom line is for the experience. So whether that's changing of culture, you know, driving more bottom line dollars, or, you know, something more widespread as like, you know, efficiency management or something like that. But um, so we provide these content, but the most important thing that we provide is a new relationship with us. So a lot of people that participate end up wanting coaching or they want to do more like experiences in the future, put it into their Ascension program. Um, and then, you know, kind of like back end of that, it actually provides like an amazing recruiting tool. <laughs> and that that is something I actually didn't foresee when I was starting out the company is that, you know, you we take all these amazing pictures in these amazing areas and this is how you know, that company invests in its employees and they are able to recruit a lot more millennials specifically because that's kind of like what the generation is looking for. But um, yeah, so it's all custom designed to meet the specific requirements of the company, but also there's like third tier effects like recruiting. Right, I mean, all these sort of things. And if companies are good about sharing and talking about these things, you're right, it becomes a great... Uh, you know, secondary drill. So the things you guys are doing sort of have life beyond that day, beyond that of you know, that event, um, into other areas than just the people that you develop. So that's uh, that's great to hear. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that we love to ask, um, you know, our guests is: is there a gadget or an app or something that you've added to your life that has helped you this year? Yeah, honestly, um, probably the most important app that I have is Audible, uh, the like Amazon reading and any podcast, you know, like live streaming podcast. Uh, I'm a firm believer uh, as a leader, you have to be a lifelong learner or else you don't become a leader anymore. <laughs> you like lose that position and influence. So I, I'm constantly trying to read and with the constraint of time, you know, audiobooks are amazing. Podcasts are amazing, especially because it's a conversation most of the time, and you you learn as you go. Where you can't actually read a book, like when you're driving. So, right, right. And I I found so many people. About half the people that are my book clubs and the CEOs that I talk to and leaders I talk to are are now completely trans. You know, are over to Audible and like it, to what you mentioned, they're listening to podcasts. Um, there's less and less of that reading, you know, physical book in your hand type of a uh, content. And if they are, they're using a Kindle or their phone or something else. So um, it's funny how many books we get in paper, paper. But then I, you know, I'll end up then buying the Audible one if someone gave me a copy of a book because th- that's just a better place to, for me to digest it. It seems like a, that's really true for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of books, is there a book that you're reading right now that you might suggest that we check out? Right now, I'm actually rereading uh, Nudge by Richard Thaler, um, you know, the behavioral economics book that he wrote. Um, I, it's actually kind of what spiked my interest in developing people uh, professionally. 
Yeah, I'm actually rereading it now. Um, just to, like, spike more interest in designing my experiences and stuff like that. So that's kind of, like, where I'm at right now. I know it's kind of old, but... No, it's... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, it's so it's so funny how sometimes it's a, you know a book that came come out a long time ago has you know kind of comes back. We recently read uh, Tipping Point and Outliers with Malcolm Gladwell, and you know that book, especially Tipping Point, had been out for a while. And it was really really interesting to go back with the fresh set of eyes and really digest that. Uh, so many new things to glean out of it, uh, given how much the world has changed since it came out. So certainly understand that one. Um, you know, you mentioned a lot of uh, great things. We talked a lot about leadership today. And, um, you know, if someone only heard one thing, if they only remembered one thing that you said, what's the one thing you hope that they might uh, take away with them? Yeah, I don't think I said it yet. But, uh, like our outdoor experiences are high end, but they're also fun, right? That's, it's not just um, I'm not trying to elicit the emotion of fear only. I'm also trying to elicit fun. So that's that's another thing that I'm going to throw out there that I haven't yet. So. Right, right. Well, how can people get a hold of you uh, if they're interested in learning more about triple direct leadership? We, we don't want them going to the double direct uh, leadership website. So, you know, what's the best way for them to find out more about you? Uh, yeah, our website, which is uh, tdleadership.com, is probably the best way. There's a contact form on there. Uh, that's the fastest way to get a hold of us. So one of our leadership guys will reach out to you as soon as you send in the contact form. Um, and other than that, uh, you just look at our our uh, Instagram and you know social media following as well. So, well, fantastic, um, Director. Thanks so much for being a part of the show today uh, and providing us so much uh, great content and ideas about leadership. Hopefully, people will check out uh, your site and uh, your company if they need help in that way. Uh, and uh, look forward to having you back on the show at some point to give us an update on all the cool things that you're doing. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, next week, my guests will include Richard Maloney, a founder and CEO of Engage to Grow Global. And then we will also have on uh, Sharon Rich, the CEO of Think Business Growth. Uh, if you happen to be listening and you're in the uh, Amsterdam area, I'll be speaking three different times at the second week of November. If you want more information, feel free to reach out to me at chrispdyer.com. Go to that website and contact me there. I can certainly get you contacted if you're out in that area. Otherwise, uh, We'll look back to, to get you next week. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.